bandwidth for the Weird Things podcast provided by Wired Tree. For sites of any size and world-class customer service, head on over to wiredtree.com. Hello and welcome to After Things. I am Andrew Mean, joined by Brian Brushwood. Hello. Mr. Bryce Castillo. Hi, everybody. That's me. And Justin Robert Young. Hey. So uh, let's talk about TikTok. <laughs> TikTok, TikTok. Mm. Wait, is that, can we call the segment TikTok, TikTok? Yeah. Okay. But yes, only if you enunciate it like that every time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so uh, for the... Uh, if my grandmother is miraculously alive and listening in, uh, TikTok is a platform that became very popular the last look almost a little over a year ago. It just sort of kind of went supernova. Um, it was a very interesting sort of origin story of a very well financed company saying, "Let's build a social network. Let's acquire Musically," and they bought an existing platform and then basically rebranded it and spent millions, maybe hundreds of millions of dollars of promoting it. And boom, TikTok be everywhere. TikTok, the new hotness. Snap, what's that? Snapchat, who heard of this? What? I don't know. TikTok. <laughs> now you're talking. And now you're talking. Obviously, oh, TikTok, so they should yeah. use that. Yeah, <laughs> look who's TikToking yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, uh, I couldn't pass the Communist Party uh, purity check, wow. so they would never hire me. <laughs> yeah, so uh, TikTok is now in the news because the the issue is that there was a lot of stuff coming up where TikTok was doing things like looking at clipboards on phones and stuff, which other companies have done that too. Mm -hmm. uh, but the fact that like many Chinese companies, the actual ownership of controls kind of murky in the fact that when you have uh, a power like China, which bans, you can't have Facebook in China. You can't use YouTube in China. You can't use a number of things that we do because China's like, nah, we, we don't, you know, for whatever reasons, you know, there, those things are banned there. The questions then come up now, like, Hey, should we be letting, a company like TikTok, which is owned by the Chinese, have an app that can tell your location and all this other data that may be used in places where we don't want exposed to foreign powers, so to speak. That's that issue. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So now this Separate. talk of like yeah. So so now we yeah. move now for the politics angle. We toss to Justin Robert Young. <laughs> <laughs> uh, obviously, post COVID. Um, there has been a hard uh, uh, move against China in terms of popularity, and that is uh, in rare in our modern era, kind of uh, across both sides of the aisle. Uh, Democrats or Republicans particularly have fond feelings for China post uh, uh, coronavirus, and there's a lot of stuff that is kind of getting more attention now than it probably w uh, has in the past. But uh, with China hawks, in ascendancy, uh, you're seeing a lot of uh, a lot of kind of wish list stuff that now is at the forefront. And one of those things is TikTok, considering that the government is very much broadly in a mood to discuss uh, what data is coming in and how it's being regulated with American companies. The idea of a supernova uh, in in popularity in in TikTok. Uh, continuing to explode and passing all that data over to the Chinese 
is uh, uh, something that, you know, became a national security thing. And who knows whether or not there's anything else below the surface that we haven't heard. But, uh, who you know, in parallel over the last week, there was questions of whether or not the federal government would step in and ban the app based on national security issues or uh, whether or not TikTok could sell to an American company and chiefly whether or not that sale would involve any kind of uh, data being accessible or ownership by the ByteDance Corporation, which is based in China. So Microsoft released a blog post today talking about that, hey, we are in talks and we're in talks with TikTok to look into acquiring them to sort of kind of make an easy sort of transition from the Chinese owners to an American owners where the data would be held, you know, under American data laws, et cetera. So we just wanted to sort of set up sort of the background because the question we got from James Harrison and I also just jump in at any point. I don't mean to make this a dialectic here. Uh, Harrison is, says, so over quarantine, I got my follower count on TikTok up to over 45,000. Wow, nice. But with the constant threats of, of it being banned in America, my highest follower base, what's the best way to get folks to follow you on other platforms? Mm. Can I first, I want to, and that's a great question, but I want to ask a question here. I know a bunch of people that moved to TikTok, and they're all telling me they have these incredibly huge follower counts. Like, like, and... I don't know. I know that, like, I know everybody, every entertainer or whatever I know who's moved there is like, I've got 40,000. I've got this many followers. And I'm like, like, that's great. But I keep hearing. And and I think that a follower there is different than a follower on other social media platforms because uh, I can't know this many super popular people. Well, and your access to your followers is different on every social media platform, but especially on TikTok, it is relatively low right like on youtube people tend to get served up the videos that they subscribe to they have the ability to like get notifications and stuff there's a a a chronological feed of the most recent videos tiktok really doesn't have that most of tiktok is like here we're gonna serve you videos that we think are best for you or you can click over here you have to click a button to see some videos from the accounts that you follow in basically random order, or you can search for them and then pull up all of it. Like you have a very indirect access to those followers. There, there, there was a hot minute that I was speculating. Uh, remember there, I think it was, uh, um, I forgot the name of it, but it was basically a fake social media account that you just open an account and it just, it just filled, you know, like you got even more followers, oh, you got like, even more bot, likes yeah, yeah. or whatever. Bot, like, the botnet yeah. diary yeah, yeah. app. Um, and uh, uh, there, there was a brief moment that I was speculating that maybe maybe TikTok has figured out that it feels real good to see big numbers next to stuff you produce. But I think, Bryce, it was you that was saying that uh, – that, that that fairly reliably the numbers have to be real or or we we saw an amount of engagement on the videos that we did for TikTok that with it was it wasn't just comments and it wasn't just likes and share numbers. It was like actually people making the duets where they actually have to film something and do something. We got so many of those for that one video that blew up that like maybe TikTok is certainly goosing it and showing that video to a lot of people, but those react, those engagements to it are real, you know, yeah, people so, that's hard to, it's, and I don't know if it's hard, but it's, it would be not worth the money to fake that much video. So, so, so TikTok may be picking winners and losers, absolutely. but, uh, uh, but they're definitely winning and they're definitely losing. <laughs> well, that's, and, yeah, and then that's part of, that's part of the platform is the algorithm. 
is yeah. that like they want yeah. you to go their preferred way for you to go is through the algorithm and so therefore they are telling you that they are picking winners and losers because they are deciding what people get pushed yeah yeah i think that and i don't i wasn't trying to imply that they're doing like fake followers i think that like on tiktok like a follow like a follow is kind of almost more like a like on a twitter sort of thing as yeah. far as mm -hmm. it's easy to, it's easy and so and and not to take anything away from any of the content people doing because everybody i know who's doing this they're making cool stuff and but i just sort of think like man like i think there it's like bite dance was brilliant in what they did if you look the behind the scenes the idea of facebook the evolution of this sort of thing was sort of predictable in the sense that like facebook was like hey we need a lot to have a lot of user content so let's encourage people to make content and then we'll come up with some algorithms to push stuff in front of people and then bite dance was like yeah we're gonna just throw shove a bunch of stuff at you that we we're gonna algorithmically choose and then we're going to let you see or if you want to keep seeing the things you like you have to follow them and just sort of that evolution of that algorithm is just scary and amazing yeah yeah no they uh they've created a very unique product and it's a product that we'll see exactly what uh uh what it looks like if and when this microsoft sale goes through i'm surprised from the a tech perspective that ByteDance hasn't particularly fought this uh or at least publicly hasn't made a big mess about it uh they i, I guess initially wanted to retain some kind of at least financial benefit of uh, the company sold to Microsoft. That was a hard line in the sand. And so now the deal is a fully, uh, a full sale to Microsoft. And uh, the idea that the app would be totally re-engineered uh, and the, the Microsoft owned version of TikTok would, uh, would, would be here, Canada, Australia, and New Zealand, but not, some of the countries in Europe, which is fascinating. All this is happening so fast. Is it, I still am not sure how this is possible. I, I'm kind of with you. I don't like, know how I, the I, president I, can say you have to right, right. So, sell so, the so, company. Uh, uh, cor correct this interpretation that that uh, uh, for me, Justin. Um, yeah. This looks to me like... Uh, Trump has a reputation for trying to stir up, uh, you know, controversy and divide people or whatever. Uh, yeah. And and you know he's got he's he's got a, 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 a an attraction to messing with China in particular. It looked to me like he just looked at a menu and picked a straw man and said, "This is an existential threat. We have to enter a world where the president says Microsoft like because it it." it the, the, we're going to have a sale. You're like, I'll allow a sale of a company, but uh, where there's no bidders and only one buyer at a price that I'll decide well, if I we'll, want to allow. <laughs> no, we'll, we'll see. I don't think that the, that the, the door is totally closed on, on other bidders. Uh, uh, you know, Axios today speculated that Amazon still might not be out of the, the, the woods on trying to acquire it, but <clears throat> there's no doubt that the list of players if what you are saying is, all right, uh, this thing's going to get banned. So Donald Trump to bike dance, sell it or you're banned and you have literally no worth in the United States. And so bike dance initially is like, I mean, again, the, the strange part here is that bike dance hasn't made a big mess of this because they very well could because of the of what you are saying.
Brian. Like yeah. the idea that like, oh, well, why is this authoritarianism? Although uh, this is not just Trump. Like uh, uh, Chuck Schumer was out today talking about how much he believed that TikTok should be banned. And uh, so this is not a one party issue like uh, right, entrenched positions throughout the ide the ideological spectrum have turned hard against China and TikTok is looked at as something that uh, would be feeding like that you need to end this now lest it become even bigger and we are not able to stop it. I guess so, the closest parallel would be, uh, uh, I think it was England was refusing to upgrade to 5G because of Huawei's, you know, maybe mysterious data gathering technologies in there. Well, and you have you have stuff that like ByteDance has done openly. Like they, they cooperated the Chinese government to help round up Uyghur women who were like, they said, we need to find them. And like, here's the data, here's the file them and then moved them to their concentration, excuse me, re-education camps. They have a very bad reputation for how they've behaved internally as far as the outside world looks at for human rights issues and stuff. So they're not in a big position to sort of protest too strong. Like, no, we're the good guys. Like, no, you literally are the bad guys in China with how you, you know, use your data to do ethnic persecution. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then that's the the grounds for like, you know, the idea of the ban is there is a whole board process by which other com organizations or companies have to get approved by this. And there have been instances where ByteDance may not have been sort of forthcoming by this. And the fact that if it is controlled by the government by this, then that is in a violation. There are ex export restrictions and stuff on there. How you define them, how you use them is where it becomes sort of the wiggle room on this. But it's not mm -hmm. I don't think it's as material as people make it out to be. I mean, this is. This is scary. It's a very scary sort of thing, the way it's used internally. I, I, I guess as a user, I look at it and, and go, well, I don't, I, I don't know what the Chinese government would use with personal information on me. Uh, only I'll tell you what they'll I do. In the they'll tell you to go to bed because it's 2 a.m. <laughs> well, hold on. You You've been scrolling too long. You got, um, but I do, but I can uh, uh, very clearly and concretely understand a workflow where Microsoft owns TikTok and then Microsoft, either through Azure cloud computing or any of any sort of surveillance technology that they decide to develop or have already developed and sell to the government, makes TikTok a de facto government owned uh, data source. Like, well, I, I that would, I there's... I I I I see two I see two flavors of the same thing except one of them is not even. <laughs> I, the I there's a lot of constitutional stuff in between there and the need for due process before you can make that evident that you can start disclosing your data. Like, if the government wants to get your personal data, whatever price there is, there are checks and balances. They're not always followed, and we've seen abuses of that. And that's the issue is here is to say you where do you trust? If you say yeah, it's the same thing to me. I think you need to look at it more closely. So if I was a China, if I was running a Chinese intelligence operation, I have access to ByteDance data. I want to say, okay, how many how many spouses of military husbands or wives have TikTok? Okay, now I have location data, and I can tell about movements of people in positions, mm. people in Washington D.C., political aides. Who was in whose office 15 minutes ago? Did somebody just go meet with Nancy Pelosi, and now she's going over the National Security Council because something just happened in the news about what's going on over there? The amount of data you have, and if you think like, you know, red team it, what you can do with it is incredibly in anybody's hands, in anybody's hands. But when you have a state actor that is actively doing what I would consider, you know, openly blazingly without criticism, you know, there is no John Oliver 
checking balances and stuff in China. You know, there is there is none of that there. And so we're externally looking at this going, this is sort of scary. We have our problems here. We do. But you can talk about this. You can hop on Twitter right now and say, hey, I, I think it sucks the way the government's monitoring stuff and doing this. And you get to say that. You don't get to do that there. And the problem here, as I'm saying, is it's like you could if you start thinking really malevolently how the stuff ha- well, we know it's been used in the past, how you could use it. It's scary. And I think we need to have clear rules and precedents because I don't think we should prevent foreign companies to be able to do things. But, you know, mm. we we bugged the phones of Angela Merkel, you know, under the last administration. We did stuff like this and we have some system of checks and balances. Yeah, it's sort of, uh, as I understand it, it's all bets are off when it comes to anything international. Like, uh, uh, that's that's why the NSA gets to, you know, just grab everything and say, they just say, well, you walk in the NSA, it's midnight, he's grabbing everything in the fridge, and you're like, what you doing, buddy? And it just shouts, national security. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, here's, and the crazy thing, though, is if the NSA, Brian, picks you up, picks up a conversation with you telling Jason, hey, is the suitcase full of cocaine going to be ready tonight? And you're like, yeah, I got the money in the Uzis. Like, ah, not our problem. And now nothing ever happens to it. They don't go to DEA. They don't tell anybody. You know, I guess, yay. And that's the that's sort of the weird thing. In China, if you're like, ah, you know, you know who looks like Winnie the Pooh? Oh, I know who looks like Winnie the Pooh. Bring red line. Next thing you know, there's a knock on your door. So uh, From Disney for copyright infringement. I would imagine. <laughs> I would imagine that uh, right now James Harrison is screaming. None of this was the question. <laughs> this is not the question. No. No. So the question uh, with the constant threats. What's the best way to get folks to follow you to other platforms, James? Uh, I'm a uh, big, big fan of being highly diversified, uh, as uh, and I, I suspect Justin would agree, as, as two people who uh, were on a network, uh, uh, the, the more channels you have, uh, the better off you are. The question is, uh, TikTok, as we were just discussing in our experience, um, is fine for engagement on TikTok. Pretty much any vertical, any platform is fine for engagement on that platform. Um, boy, is it hard to get anybody to move from any one platform to another. To get a YouTube subscriber to sign up for your email list is difficult. Uh, that's why we do giveaways. To get anybody on your uh, uh, who reads your blog to, to uh, uh, subscribe to your video podcast, nearly impossible. Um, it's it's it, it, not impossible. It's just going to take a lot of time, and you're going to have to provide, number one, a very good reason for them to go mm-hmm. from point A to point B, Oftentimes it's a giveaway or, you know, hey, normally this is a $50 gift, uh, uh, but or a $50 book, but, you know, I'm going to give it to you as my gift to uh, just, you know, go, head on over to Twitter, hit me up on my DMs uh, uh, because, you know, or d- click the link in my profile. Right. is a big because then you can do a link tree and then you can say, here's where the giveaway thing is like. Right. Yeah. But but you're going to have to essentially set up a CRM that 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 automates getting people through a process where they are constantly getting rewards, special behind the scenes content, bonus stuff. Uh, uh, you can you can show the first half of a trick, or you can show a trick and say, uh, uh, "This is one of my favorite tricks, and I have a secret tutorial that normally costs a, a billion dollars. Uh, if you want it, all you got to do is click the link on the thing, and you're essentially doing a sales funnel for their attention to get them on other platforms." Mm-hmm. That's, that billion-dollar that, tutorial, Brian, that was the best thing you ever did. <laughs> it was so good. The, the, the saddest part is uh, once you get them to the other platform, it may not be their preferred platform, and no. you may have 
hard fought your way into another sec, another vertical that they don't use. Email, 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 get email addresses, get, that is the most, there's a reason why we use them now as our usernames. They're the most permanent form of contact you can have beg, plead, whatever, you know, just get, you know, give, think, think of a thing. Like if you had a thing that you're willing to sell for 10 bucks, you know, that you're, you're like, I think the value of this. And if you're like, man, what, what is the lifetime value of somebody on email to me? It's probably going to be worth more than that. Oh, so yeah. it is, you know, think about like, cause like, look at, look at these guys who started Patreons here. What, what were those email addresses worth to you for your Patreons? I mean, they were, they were, uh, as a matter of fact, I was speaking with uh, Andrew Heaton last night and how uh, Justin, uh, he credits Justin with giving him his entire post um, uh, uh, employee career because the night before, you know, his uh, uh, last show on the network he was on, uh, Justin said, you open a Patreon right this minute <laughs> because there needs to be a place for people to go. Yeah. And if there's not a place for people to go, you will never, ever get them back. And maybe yeah. if depending on the type of engagement or following that you've got on TikTok or that you're looking to cultivate, like uh, email, definitely, definitely make an email list, but maybe, maybe make a, maybe make a discord or find something community focused rather than outlet focused. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's free and easy to do. I, I, and I then would, suddenly you have very engaged people. I would, I would say the biggest thing is figure out where people want to go and make the content that you feel that you can make there. Like right now, obviously there is an existential crisis with TikTok. There is a non-zero chance that things just fall apart. And, and now all of a sudden TikTok just doesn't work unless you're on a VPN, which would fundamentally crush that community. Right. Uh, but, and so at, at now, now more than ever, you want to set up things where I'm sure it'll be probably a trend with big, uh, uh, big uh, uh, players on TikTok where people are building those life rafts and they are saying like, "Hey, look! In case the war comes, this is where we're going. This is where I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, uh, be posting my stuff here, and uh, maybe just start doing it there." But also remember that this isn't just an emergency switch. If you are diversifying your uh, your brand, then you need to make it worth like worth it to be there. Like you know, I have a a, a daily newsletter, but that means I got to write that newsletter daily. <laughs> it means I got to, I, I have to be good at this other thing. I, I, uh, the, some of the biggest decisions that I've made over the last five years have been deciding not to do certain content, not because I didn't enjoy it, not because there wasn't an audience there, but because I, uh, needed to focus on every time that I told someone to go somewhere, I had to be cool with my effort on that platform uh and and so if you have a very passive email list that's fine but let them know that that is just the place where you can get the billion dollar tutorial that that you put out but that's that's not a guarantee of a regular thing uh if you're going to a discord then enmesh yourself in some discord communities see how discord communities work because on one hand yeah it's going to be where your audience if you already have a hardcore community then it's going to be what it is otherwise bad actors will make it lame and people that go uh will think oh this sucks this isn't the tiktok fun i was used to 
Mm-hmm. Well, and, and also the yeah. good news is demographically speaking, um, I would say that mm, uh, of, 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 of the over 40 crowd uh, on this podcast, uh, there's a lot of websites that I go to and I get right up to the part where it asks for my email. And, and then I'm like, eh, maybe not. And then I, uh, I, I, I don't do anything. Um, mm-hmm. If you are under the age of uh, 15, under the age of 20, then uh, who boy, do those people not think twice about just throwing their emails at you. So uh, the demographic that is on TikTok that's already enjoying your stuff is probably the demographic that is uh, not going to be shy about giving you their email address. Yeah. So uh, can we talk about Patreon for a second? Um, sure. Sure. Have you been following the lawsuit with them regarding arbitration? No, mm-hmm. I have known yep. nothing about this. Justin, you want to give a little background on what happened? So um, Patreon had in their terms of service uh, the fact that you, and this is standard, this is boilerplate uh, for TOSs, especially with uh, in, in Silicon Valley, that you could not sue them. You had to go to arbitration. Um, that's uncontroversial. Then they amended it once they kind of ran into issues where people uh, had their accounts deleted and stuff. A lot of this runs on political lines uh, that you had to communicate with them uh, before you filed for arbitration. And then once they had a canceled creator direct 72 of his fans to bring them to arbitration, they then changed it again uh, after the fact. Uh, this basically led a judge uh, last week to say that uh, Patreon had overstepped their boundaries and uh, that their TOS is in violation of the, of the law. And now Patreon needs to pay out for all of these cases that were brought. So we... We, what we don't know from here is uh, exactly where the financial burden is ultimately going to lay upon Patreon and whether or not beyond uh, them being a little bit more consistent with their terms of service, because I don't think there's any question that they got way too fast and loose with that, um, which is can a Silicon Valley trend. Can you just add that the, the, the issue is that for every arbitration case, they have to put down like a $2,000 deposit or whatever. For every yeah. case that gets open against them, they have to put down a $2,000, which is fine. The problem is, is let's say, you know, you have five, you have five, you're, you have 5,000 people who are supporters of you. And all of a sudden you get your Patreon canceled. If all 5,000 of your fans say, yeah, I want to sue Patreon and I have to go to arbitration. Patreon has to put down $2,000 per claimant, which all of a sudden yeah. that became a $10 million bounty or $10 million that Patreon has to pay out, you know, before the arbitration is settled. And that's the, that's the thing that has people concerned or worried. Is it like, you know, they've, if somebody wanted to have a bunch of people open up these arbitration suits because they canceled somebody and that's, that's kind of one of the big issues here now. So how, how could they have dodged this? Uh, uh, Because I, I, I do agree. Everything I've, I've seen and heard would indicate that, um, uh, the, that they've been sloppy in their decisions about who to pull the plug in and and uh, and, and looking the other way on some accounts that probably should have the, the plug pulled on them. Um, is, I mean, is there, there's no safe harbor because they're picking winners and losers and they're making no bones about it, about who can and can't be on their platform. Um, 
what 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 should they have done and what could they have done that's the big legal question the the the, the, the you use arbitration because it's a much easier more way to do it and it can tend to be you know more favor the companies in some cases but there's good arguments to say arbitration is overall probably the, the best way to say handle stuff arbitration is usually pretty good when you're not dealing with uh, if you're dealing with individual cases and stuff where you're never going to worry about a group of actions together, it's fine. Where if you're not in arbitration, you could, as Patreon, could say, no, we're going to group them all together because it's the same claim. Arbitration, you don't get to do that. They can't group all thousand people trying to sue them under the same under the same reason together. That's the problem. When you're dealing with a one to many, because the relationship is between Patreon the people who are creating content and then their fans. And if you take out that person supporting it, the fans then can say, we have an action against Patreon, which I think was, I don't think they predicted that. I don't think their no. legal team realized this was, this was, oh, this is a scenario that could happen. So, so what is yeah. happening now? Is, is there a lawsuit happening or? Uh... Now, right now in our story, Patreon is on the hook for like $10 million for these cases that they lost all at the same time because their TOS was ruled against the law. Uh, so what we don't know is, again, how this financially affects Patreon. Do they got to go get more funding like is this something they can absorb does this lead uh to other action other similar action coming forward uh we we don't know what i do know is i downloaded all of my emails from patreon <laughs> immediately upon hearing this and i will continue to regularly download all the emails that i have on patreon and i have I have set up other uh, other, hey, Bryce, other crowdfunding make a note, things uh, on the night night attack account and court kills. Just just for fun, let's download all of our emails. It's just good hygiene. I would just rec as people who make their living on Patreon, it's it's regularly good hygiene just to download those emails so you have those emails just in case. Yeah. Ugh. It's Man, like yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, look, uh, uh, I've said. Then, now, and forever with Patreon. And again, I owe my living to Patreon. Patreon created a brand that connected with my community that allowed me to get paid. And I've, and, and guess what? It's endured where a lot of other institutions have not endured in our uncertain economic times. And for that, I will be eternally grateful. And all I've ever wanted for them is to just act like a grown ass bank. Also, like a boring, like bunch of like ironclad. Uh, legal TOS people bank like you don't need to be the fun flashy cool for kids uh, 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 awesome brand at this point there's so much money that and, and you've created you've congratulations you won the goal was make art something that you could crowdfund on a regular sustainable basis you did it and I'm here to ask you Please, for God's sakes, start acting more boring and less cavalier. Also, everybody, uh, grab a pen and pencil and just jot this down. Pen and um, pencil. You might have to. Just <laughs> write it on your hands. Write it with, with, with both hands. That's right. Well, I got uh, this. Just get ready. Mm -hmm. If you want to support the Weird Things podcast, then make sure to write those checks to P.O. Box 6006, yeah. Poughkeepsie Falls, Idaho, <laughs> 90036. Keep an eye out for our coffee account. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah. and it's so interesting because like, 
Patreon has like stood, uh, uh, managed to stand against other competitive other competing services that have come and go right like even ones that were there before it i mean they obviously hit on something sure. that allowed them to to, to swoop I mean, in think of the largest of kickstarter and their drip service went almost nowhere very very fast um and, and, you, and uh, did, didn't uh, uh hank green had a company something star supporter or something weird mm-hmm. like that and that, that predated uh patreon as well and yeah. just patreon was the 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 right things at the right time um but boy am i with you justin it's like uh 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 when uh you know how youtube is has, has skirted a lot of stuff uh is uh uh, a safe harbor because like hey man we don't we, we ain't picking sides on this i mean uh, is it copyright is it pornography we're done uh, go ahead i i yeah I, I think that look there's a lot there's some chickens coming home to roost on the idea of deplatforming and where you're allowed to post stuff and where you're not allowed to post stuff uh this is a part of that conversation and uh i again all all i want is just 50 lawyers looking at exactly what the rules are and have those rules be what they are. Uh, uh, and, and I, this, like the way that if you go into this story and you see like just how capriciously Patreon was changing their TOS as they were getting sued to protect against, or these cases were being brought to arbitration, like at it, it was just, irresponsible it was irresponsible of them. so support and the show weird things at only fans mm. <laughs> i won't even give careful the, that might be a thing yeah i didn't give the top level domain dot pizza there we go yeah, yeah i mean look, I, I, I email address yeah. <laughs> yeah they've yeah we all we all i think we all fans of what patreon's done i mean that's clear we we love what they've done and there is that that point where you start off with an idea, you get momentum for it, and then you sit back and you have to say, what are we? And then there's what the company wants it to be, and then there's what the customers want it to be. And I think that's that might be where the disconnect is, because we've seen, you know, you've got we've seen a lot with the Patreon. We're trying this is what we're pushing for and stuff. And things that surprised me too is, you know, Patreon saying they didn't make much money on people who are doing like $40 or $50 a month Patreon campaigns. And to me, that was insane. Insane because your overhead, I mean, like I, I get like you can restructure how you do credit card processing and stuff. That seemed crazy to me that like you could should be able to build an empire on 40 or $50 a month people. But, you know, they're I think they thought of you know, maybe they wanted to be more focused more on the higher volume, higher quality brands, which then means algorithms or it means selection losers and stuff. And and I think that's where we got to the problem. Yeah, but we're fans. <sighs> I mean, no, I'm, 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 we're, we're only, fans. I'm dependent. I'm, I'm, I'm financially tied to this platform. Uh, if, if, uh, you know, you start thinking for me of worst case scenarios among the worst case scenarios is either Patreon suffers such reputational damage that people flee despite the fact that which, they want to continue which, giving me money we've already been through that. once we've uh, the, uh, the first time they started deplatforming large um you know uh, for whether it's justified or not uh large-scale people all of a sudden there was a stink on it and fans of of the people who are deplatformed are suddenly writing us and saying i love your content but i cannot in good conscience support whatever so because i'm also a lazy fan i'm out 
And then it's like, yeah. well, that's money that vanished. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, uh, an adult. I just want adults. I want John Q adult. And he has like a high and tight haircut and he wears wingtips to bed. Like that's how adult he is. And he's just got a leather suitcase to be the one who runs Patreon and he drinks milk four times a day like that's, that's a lot of milk i dude this guy is such Everybody an adult that it's dude has the stinkiest too it's like <laughs> oh i want i want him like he just brings his own liverwurst and his his trad wife makes for him and like it's like like you're like describing like Kyle McLaughlin from Twin Peaks here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's who we need. We I need just, some damn fine Patreon. That's what we I need. Just, John businessman, <laughs> adult from the adult family. Businessman like, and an adult. Yeah, I. That's who I just. I God for. Like anytime, like I want him just to come in and just ban long hair from the office, <laughs> like and just like like nobody can play a video game. Like it just, I want it the most boring gray place to work because my money is very tied to your company, and I don't want. I don't want anybody just like, hey, bro, what do we update the TOS? LOL, fourteen I, emojis in Slack. Enough. No. I once went. I once went to a one of these startup presentations and it was in this like the one of these big shared co-location spaces, whatever. And people were getting up and pitching their startups and they were under the idea that there were actually people there that were going to fund them and not like, you know, 200 other people looking for funding. Um, and you'd see these presentations where people felt like they were giving like their tech crunch or their TED talk, whatever. They go up on stage and they're just sort of this lukewarm reaction. The best one was. A guy goes up on stage and he's like, you could tell like he wanted to have music played or had some sort of like music played, but it was just on a little stereo speaker. It felt like a Michael Scott kind of moment. And he had he had a man purse. He's wearing like this sort of not quite tie dye, but the very sort of kind of hippie thing. He had this man purse and he was pitching his new currency. He had a new currency. He says, money sucks. This is why you need to move to this thing and whatever. And I'm like, wavy gravy. I don't think we want to invest in your financial startup, you know, that you had, you know, between bong hits. And it was just that what instills confidence. If he had a three-piece suit on, same guy, cut, whatever, and was boring, I'd be, tell me more. But this guy that looks like, you know, he's trying to figure out, you know, how to sell decals out of a truck at a fish concert and he, he, and he just kept him. shouting, developers, developers, developers. <laughs> it was the weirdest presentation. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. Mean, His look, name was hey, John Bitcoin. John yeah. Bitcoin. I mean. But with, uh, a uh, with a Y. With a Y. With a Y. Yeah. With a y. <laughs> but not what you would think. Not what you would think. <laughs> oh, man. I think we got to call it. Uh, uh, man, that's fascinating. Um, yeah. Oof. Keep an eye out for TikTok. Yeah. Download those emails, kids. Download those emails. <laughs> Put it in your drive. What are our picks? Uh oh, I watched uh Eurovision Song Contest, the Fire Saga, uh, with uh, uh Will Ferrell and Rachel McAdams. Uh just a charming little movie. I I, you know, there there's definitely a um Gary Sanchez that is uh Will Ferrell and Adam McKay's uh production company. There's a certain playbook that they have um but uh this was the music was on point and that carries it uh and and rachel mcadams was just uh just fantastic she really is the star of the show how 
how unfair is it that Pierce Brosnan gets to be this handsome, by the way, this, at, that age? at this age? That dude hasn't a, I mean, like, he's one of those people that, like, from when I was a kid and he was James Bond and in uh, uh, Mrs. Doubtfire, like, he just stopped dyeing his beard. That's, like, the only thing that's functionally changed about Pierce Brosnan. Yeah, I it's when she's like, man, I'd I'd give my my remaining lives life to look like him. You know, I'll take I'd be Pierce Brosnan at 67 instead of me now. <laughs> yeah. Uh I got a I got a quick pick. Uh uh Last Chance You is back on Netflix. They got a new school this time. It's uh this is the show that follows junior college football teams. Uh this time they are following Laney Junior College uh in Oakland. It's literally right across the lake. You oh, can no see kidding. it from my. You can see it from my building. Oh, that's great. Um, I'm only. I'm only like one episode into it, but uh, I'm. I always dig Last Chance You, and I think them only doing two seasons at a at any given school makes a lot of sense because the second season they always are so aware that they're on cameras. They're so aware of how they've been seen, um, and they the, those teams end up doing really bad on the second years. I'll tell you that. Uh, Last Chance You is on Netflix, season five. Uh, hey, so if I say the words, I, I like some fantasy novel series, um, uh, some people, it's a bit like saying you're, you're into anime. Like, like there's a lot of bad anime and there's a lot of bad fantasy novel series. Um, there are some good ones too, like really standout good ones. Uh, I love the King Killer Chron- Chronicles, Name of the Wind. I love uh, the Gentleman Bastard series, starting with the, the Lies of Locke Lamora. And every time I mention those two, everybody, including my daughter, Starts badgering me to uh, 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 start reading the Mistborn series, uh, which I which I finally just started, and um, I'm about uh, I don't know a third of the way into the first book, and uh, they have a, 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 a they have a cool magic system, and and it's it's always fun when it's it's like it's like buying into a new role playing game where it's like you got to learn a new combat system or whatever, and uh, but I like. Uh, I like I'm, I'm picking up what they're putting down, and uh, it's 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 a dark and strange world. Brandon Sanderson is the guy's name. He is he's quite prolific. I was having a conversation with the other day though about like there's like this weird Venn diagram of like fantasy novels and then gamers and like well I like the magic system in this fantasy novel, you know, where yeah. you're like oh, yeah. it's a very it was such it was so weird to me, and then I'm like ah oh, I get it if I was a gamer they're like oh, I like the way this magic works, mm-hmm. um, so. Uh, well, it's it, it is sort of a game. It's a it's a fun game of like you know as you as as combat unfolds, you know you as the reader are trying to think of of okay what moves do you have or what can be done here or so on, and then and then the you know protagonist or bad guy or whatever surprises you with a combination you didn't expect, and and it's 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 a bit like watching somebody play a video game and you're like oh I didn't see that coming. Nice. Yeah, kind of like like two books that were neat to sort of read together one was you know player of games oh yeah which we've talked about yeah that's uh, great you know the ian banks which is just like a great it's casino royale and you know a post singularity sort of thing casino royale, uh ian fleming is a very different sort of james bond story because it's most of it, it takes place around this high stakes card game and trying to basically bankrupt a terrorist you know, and this time in the original one, like a you know guy was an operative for Smirsh, and it's such a neat thing to say a spy thing based upon the rules of this game being played and all the things going around it. And I could see like with a magic system and stuff, like these are the rules. Now we're going to see how they work in ways you don't think about. Yeah, nice. Uh, Andrew, did you have a pick? 
My pick is, I've been listening to this, I read it years ago, Insanely Great by Stephen Levy, who is an author of a number of books, most recently a book about Facebook, but this is Insanely Great, which was a book written like 1994 or whatever about the development of the Macintosh. And he goes into the early history. A lot of people, a lot of people know some of the history. Go like, oh, well, they got stuff from Xerox Park, and it's like, yeah, and Xerox Park brought people from S Stanford Research Institute, and just sort of the evolution of that platform and something that's written in the point of view from like 1994, 95 is kind of interesting. Where the really interesting stuff is about to happen, but uh, very neat. And he uses a very neat example, and they're talking about how some of these early innovators of graphical user interfaces and the mouse, people like Alan Kay and Doug Engelbart. He talks about the idea, some people are Da Vinci's and some people are Michelangelo's. Da Vinci had a lot of ideas, a lot of unfinished ideas, an idea for this, an idea for that, and was prolific. Da Vinci had thoughts about everything. Da Vinci's actual works, if you ask somebody to point to a work by Da Vinci, of course, there's the Mona Lisa and some other paintings. But other than that, there's harder to find those examples. But if you say Michelangelo, you can think of maybe, you know, what the most prominent is the Sistine Chapel, the thing that's still there to this day. And this was a thing that took years, a good portion of his lifetime to create. Some people move from idea to idea and don't see them through. Other people sit down and see a thing through execution. And I thought that was a very interesting way because we often say, oh, I'm a creative type. Well, there's different kinds of creative types. There's the have a bunch of ideas, wait for something to stick, or maybe, and maybe have a kind of a brilliance about a thing. And then there's, I'm going to see this thing happen. I'm going to make this thing happen if it takes years to make it happen. And there's no right or wrong way, but I think it's a different, a helpful distinction to see there. And that's the part of the early you know, the computer you know, innovators was they had a lot of ideas, but nobody, part of it was just the timing, but we just didn't, were able to follow something all the way through. He goes to talk to, uh, I think it's Doug Engelbart, who was a guy that came up with so much of what we used for like the mouse, the way we things interact and everything else in computer systems. He goes to interview him in like uh, the mid eighties or whatever, you know, after the Mac is there, whatever. And he's working for some, or right before that, he's working for some like phone company thing that bought another division or something like this. And he's in a cubicle. And this guy is one of the most brilliant pioneers of the computer age, but people just didn't recognize the potential for it. And, you know, he's just got a little job here doing this. So Hmm. very interesting. Pretty cool. Gentlemen, it's been after. The Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program.